All right. Good morning, everybody. We have a unique opportunity. We felt like that uh, this series has been so uh, like a watershed series for us in our church in many ways. Um, we thought that one of the best ways to kind of wind this up is just to answer some of your questions. And so we asked you guys to submit questions over the last 10 days, and we got some really good ones. I feel like we got some really good ones, and um, um, Megan's going to be asking them um, in whatever order she wants. Correct. <laughs> and, Correct. Uh, and if I give the wrong... Uh, and every answer that I give you is guaranteed be guaranteed to be 100% correct or your money back. Oh, goodness gracious. Right? Oh. So, I'm excited about it. We got some really good questions this week. We're excited about them. And so, um, this has been a great series for our church. I feel like, well, I not feel like, I've witnessed it spark revival in many of your hearts of how you live, how you view the world, how you read headlines. <laughs> Uh, how, you've, how you've lost obsession with what's going on in this world, in our government, in every government, because we know that ultimately nothing's going to really change until our Jesus comes back. Amen. All right. <laughs> I think you should keep trying that, though. I know. Yes. All right. So first question is why, and so if you think about not... The whole Bible is, has a lot of symbolism, um, imagery, etc., etc. It's a lot in Revelation. So first question is, why doesn't God just speak plainly instead of all the mysterious symbols? Yeah, that's a great question. So, well, first of all, if he just spoke plainly without the symbols, you wouldn't need me and I wouldn't have a job. And, you know, we just... <laughs> so it's really all about me. That's really... Generally is. Yeah. So... So understand, I got these questions ahead of time, so I, I, I was able to work on them a little bit. But I think the first answer to that question is, it's really about storytelling. Hmm. Because, you know, um, have you ever watched a movie that you've seen before and you watch it again even though you know how it's going to end? Well, why? It's because you want to see the story. The story, even though you know how it ends, the story draws you in emotionally and spiritually and intellectually um, and so that's really why God speaks to us the way he does, particularly in Revelation. It's about the story. It's about God with these powerful visions and symbols that we have to think about and we have to break down and study. He's drawing us in to the emotion and the drama of the story of redemption. And if it was just a list, a bullet list of stuff, boom, 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 well, how boring that would be. It would not be... It would not be something that would engage us. And but there's this, go ahead. No, I was going to say what's interesting about that to me is if you, we, we learned over and over that we in 2023 cannot and will never be able to read this the way that our Jewish brothers and sisters did, right? We, we just can't. But so the imagery in the story is not dissimilar to how Jesus taught in a, in a parable. And you connecting dots, but you're connecting things back so readers can understand the different parts of the story. We learn, I mean, storytelling is one of the oldest human forms of communication. Yeah, and I, and I think the stories in Revelation or the symbols and the images in Revelation are important because it does invoke emotion. Mm. God made us that way. We are not artificial intelligence. We're real intelligence. Well, Did you type your notes with chat? No, I did not type them. That's the problem. <laughs> there, but there, there's another answer to the question, which is this. 
If you guys remember, every time we broke down a passage, where did we go very first thing we did to try to figure out what it meant? And so, so what God did was he wove this intricately together with Old Testament passages to force us Hmm. to stop and study and break down and analyze. And what Revelation does, if you think about it, I mean, we've seen how Revelation kind of is a summary of the whole Bible. It's incredibly brilliant how it was put together. And it makes the Bible into something that we can read for a lifetime. You can see how we're never going to exhaust it. I mean, when I went through these 51, 52 weeks, I didn't break down every little thing about every part of Revelation. That will be when we do it next year, Revelation Part 2. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not, not, Not doing it again, but the point is... Just in, the, just in the year that we took, that was probably like 50% of the symbolism that's in it. There's so many cross-references. And so another reason that God does it that way is so that we are trained to recognize if we really want to understand it, we can't just read it on its own. We have to go back to the Old mm-hmm. Testament. And we have to see how all the passages connect. So that's a good question. I appreciated that question. Yes. The Bible is a sum whole. Yes. So you just touched on something that will lead me to, I'm going to do this more organically instead of how I wanted to do it originally. So this question is something you just touched on. You said, I would like to, somebody said, I would like to first express how much I truly appreciate the way you teach. Aww. Aww. A little warm and fuzzo. This leads to my question. What do you do to prepare for the text you teach? And second, do you sit with others to share insights? I love this. It's incredibly Uh, It's incredible how easy you take what is often seen as a crazy acid trip and lay it in such a mess. It's not untrue. I mean, come on. It is. And lay it in such a message of hope. Thank you and thank God. So I don't, I think Grace Life's the only place where we could have a question like that, you know? So here's, here's the process. And it starts on Sunday afternoon around 12.30, 12.45 when I get home, unless there's a Bucks game, then it starts at 4.30. Um, <laughs> I start looking at the next passage and I break it down. And the first thing I do is I look for all the Old Testament cross-references, every one of them. And I start making a list of all the Old Testament cross And this is true not just for Revelation, in everywhere. Uh, and I start making, looking at all the cross-references. Then I take those cross-references and I look at all the verbs. And I say, okay, what verbs are the common verbs in the passage I'm studying and the passage it's linked to? Why do you pick a verb? Because the verb verb is the, what is a verb? The verb is the action. It's answering questions. It's answering questions about what did man do? Or what did God do? And what do I do? And that's the core, that's the foundation of every passage. What, what, What were they doing? And what did God do and what should I do? Isn't that what we want to, the question to answer for every passage? So I take those and I break down those verbs in their original language, looking at the parsing and the, the tense and all those things. And from there, I start to build a foundation for what the passage is supposed to mean. And so throughout the week, I do that. I look at the historical application. I do some historical study. And then on Thursday, around 1 o'clock, I take what I've done with my notes, no matter how good or bad they are, sometimes they're still a a, a disaster at at Thursday at one o'clock, but I'm starting on Sunday and I work throughout the week, probably two or three hours a day throughout the week. Um, I send them to Daryl Davis and Dan Olson, two pastor friends of mine. You guys know Daryl, one of the people who helped start Grace Life. 
and Dan Olson, one of the pastors in the church I was in in New York, I send them my notes and I tell them to pick them apart and check them and give me ideas and thoughts where I'm wrong, where I'm right. And then I meet with Dan at 9.30 on Friday morning and I meet with Daryl at 10.30 on Friday morning. And I meet with them for an hour each and we just go through the sermon. And then I put it away. Saturday morning, about 7 a.m., I'll spend another two and a half, three hours just kind of putting the finishing touches. Then I pray the rest of the day, go for a walk, pray. Sunday morning, bright and early or dark and early. Um, you are up awfully early on I am, I am, I am up early. But, I, but it's a labor of love on Sunday morning I'm here and there's nobody else here and I'm just going through the sermon one last time. And so that's the process. There's a lot of accountability. There's a lot of structure to it. There's a lot of uh, self-imposed discipline to it, but I don't see how you can teach the scriptures any other way. So I have people that I trust and rely upon in my life that I love, two brothers in Christ that help. And it's, it's a comfort to know that I'm not going to go too far astray with them. So that's the process. Thank you for asking. Yeah. All right. Next question. Are the people who have died, are the people who have died waiting for revelation to be judged and be with heavenly dad? <clears throat> These so, are people who are already dead. So waiting. Yeah. So I believe there, there's two answers to this question. Those who are in Christ the scripture does teach this idea that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, the one who was saved that day, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. So for those who are in Christ, it's an interesting thing because we, we, think, we think sequentially that like, you know, we're, we're stuck in this time, you know, past, present, and future, and we can't really escape that, right? It's kind of, time is kind of a prison. But after this life on earth is done, we're not really a slave to that any longer. And we are present with Christ. And, and this is speculation on my part. I do believe that once those who are in Christ are with Christ, we are experiencing the end result of judgment and redemption right there with Christ. And I'll go even further. I think that those who are dead are also already experiencing us with them in heaven because they're not waiting they're there. That's, this is my, that part is more speculative on my, on my end, but I do believe the scripture teaches those who are without Christ or those who are with Christ are with him when we leave this world. Those who do not know Christ, there are two schools of thought on that. One is that uh, they are dead and will be resurrected to face judgment. Another is that they, uh, the, Jesus shared a parable about someone who from Sheol cried out and said, I need a drink of water. Can you send my friend who's in heaven to a drink of water? So those are two perspectives on that. Mm. But I believe that everyone who dies, either you're experiencing Christ or to some degree, you are experiencing judgment right away. Um, and that's why the gospel cannot be short-circuited or changed because remember we've talked about this. There's a judgment side to the gospel. But thankfully there's also a grace side, amen? And that's what we love. So I hope that answered the question. Yeah, and I think why it's hard to understand is, well, the book of Isaiah says, <coughs> my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. God is very different. We don't know. He said seven days to make the earth, but it was not seven days. I think God's time is circular. It's all, there's no beginning, no end. And so wherever we are, right, that's how I think we can be absent but present it's very difficult to think of God in a sequential, linear way like we live. But that's the only way that human beings can. We have yeah. no other concept. Correct. Yeah. That's okay. 
One day it won't be like that. Amen. All right, ready? Mm -hmm. uh -oh, Are you sure? <laughs> okay. There was a couple in here I'm not looking forward to, but go ahead. <clears throat> in Luke 20, 36... Jesus says the resurrected are like angels, but when he is resurrected, he comes to the disciples in flesh and body. So, what are the resurrected, like whose names are written in the book of life in Revelation 21? It's a two-parter, by yes. the way. Yeah. So, the resurrected, what, what do we look like? I have no idea. But the resurrected are those, see, I, I believe that once we leave this life, there, there are two types of resurrections, right? There's the resurrection that happens when, when children of God leave this earth. Then there's the resurrection to judgment. We learned about that in Revelation 19 or 20. There were two resurrections. There's a resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment, okay? And so that's the first thing to understand, that there are two, definitely two resurrections. All right. What is meant by everlasting life and eternal life? Does it mean we never die, or are we reincarnated somehow if we believe? This has always bothered me, and it's mentioned in the Creed and other Bible verses like John 3.16. I don't know if it's revelation per se, but it's hinted. Do we really want to live forever? I will tell you, when we are in the presence of God, we will want to be living forever. Uh, there are times in this life where people wish it was over. Mm. It's hard. It's difficult. Life can be full of burdens and heartache. But that's what's going to make life with our Jesus so much better. Mm. So much better. And so, yes, we do want to live forever if we're with our Jesus. For those without, that's a curse. But for those with Jesus, man, it's a precious gift. And the scripture is very clear. We do, we do have everlasting life. We talked about that, how the tree of life sustains us. The tree of living, uh, the, the, the river of living water sustains us. And so um, we will want to live forever. When we're, I, just, I can't wait to see our Jesus when he comes back. You know, I wonder if, like, I'll be one of the ones fighting to get to the front, you know, pushing people out of the way or whatever, but <laughs> probably, right? Probably. So. All right. Since you're a little weepy, I'm going to oh. move on to a different question. Okay, good. All righty, ready? <laughs> this one, this is from somebody. Jesus warns. <laughs> uh, Jesus warns against <clears throat> people adding or taking away. Right, you taught us last week, and I really appreciated how come we don't spend more time thinking about the very last words of Jesus that were ever recorded. That was good. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but in that, he says, we're warned against adding or taking away. Can you talk a little bit more about why people are so inclined <coughs> to want to add or take away to what God said? You know, I think the first reason that people want to either soft pedal the gospel, and there are churches in our town that do it, some who want to change the gospel, or some who want to dismiss the gospel altogether, whether they want to not hold people accountable or whether they're legalists and they, they, they want to judge everyone. I think whenever that happens, it's a real good statement, a real good statement that you have a problem with who's in charge. Mm. So to me... <clears throat> when you have the word of God and you don't like something in it, or maybe it doesn't mean that, or surely it can't mean that, what you're really saying is, I don't like the way, the rules that you have set, God. So it's really a problem with submission and obedience. So that's the first reason. 
I think sometimes people will change the word of God or subtract or add out of fear. But I think that fear is, is often based out of, um, how can I say it? I don't want to say, ignorance of facts. Because as you can see, when you go through Revelation, some of you expressed to me <clears throat> that you never really wanted to read Revelation because it, it, it frightened you, it intimidated you. But you can see, while it can be complicated, there's nothing to be afraid of if you're a child of God. If anything, you should want to lap this stuff up, right? I mean, this is great stuff. And so some of the reason why we ignore the truth or change it or because of fear, and that fear um, can be done away with once you have some wisdom and discernment. But I think the primary reason that people try to change the gospel is they just don't like who's in charge. They want to be in charge. They want to say, well, that's not my God. My God would never say that. You're probably right because your God is fake. <laughs> so, I don't know, was that... I think it's good, but follow-up question. And so there's, <clears throat> Jesus issues severe judgments to people who do that. Mm-hmm. Plagues and things like that. So if people are going to be judged with plagues and things like that, is the warning really against people who are non-believers? Absolutely it is. See, here's what I will tell you. that if you, This is important. And this is important when you live in a world and live in a country where the gospel and the word of God is being... Um, changed and adulterated and, and messed with all the time. A child of God might make mistakes, but a child of God is not going to change what the Word of God says. A child of God will have no desire. If, the, if, the, if a child of God reads the Scripture and says, man, I don't like how that sounds, I better find out exactly what it means. Well, that's different than saying, well, I'm just going to ignore that. That's silly. You see the difference? So, yes, the answer to the question is those who do change the gospel They'll say, depart from me. I don't know you. I, I believe that. Because I, I also believe in the sovereignty of God when it comes to salvation. And all that the Father has given him will come to him. Mm. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Mm. He's not going to let one of his children become a false prophet. Hmm. Okay. Great. All right, next question. The scripture says repeatedly we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. Revelation seems to say we are to be judged by our works. Examples, 2012, the dead were judged according to what they have done, as is recorded in the books. 2212, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So if we are saved by God's grace because, our faith in Jesus Christ, because of our faith in Jesus Christ rather than our works, why are we, based, why are we judged based on our works? So I love this question. And the reason I love this question, because the answer is in my favorite chapter in the Bible, which is in Ephesians 12. Mm. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And even that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works or else you brag. For we are his work created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which he prepared beforehand that we walk into, or as I taught you guys, will trip over. And so don't be afraid about the fact that you as a child of God are going to be judged by your works because even the works that you do are good works if you're a child of God and he has chosen you and saved you. He has prepared you. He, we are not the work. We are his work created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which by the way will be judged, 
that he prepared when? Beforehand that we would walk into or trip over. It's like when God saves you, he provides all these great works that you're going to do in his name through the power of his spirit that will be what you are judged upon at the judgment. Isn't that great? Like, so, Joe, I'm going to judge your works. Well, thank goodness they're not really mine. <laughs> it's the work of Christ who saved me and transformed me and prepared me for works that he gave me. Grace life is not a good work that I would ever have wanted to do on my own. He, he literally threw it in my path. I tripped over it. I mean, I can't believe that God has created such an incredible family. This is the best church. I mean, I'm not just saying it because it's my church now. I really mean it. <laughs> It is the best church family I've ever been in. It's the best leadership group I've ever worked with. I mean, it really is. It's an amazing place. And it's a good work that God prepared before the foundation of the world that we all, all of us, not just me, we tripped over. And so, yes, we are judged by our works, but even those works are a product of grace and mercy and redemption. Because we could never come up on our own with a good idea. Honestly, right? If the, and that's I, I'm meeting that seriously. We are so broken from the beginning yeah. that it would only be through God's grace that we could ever come up with doing anything good. An example of how we're yeah. broken. I said Ephesians 12. I mean Ephesians 2. See, there's an example. I said Ephesians 12. It's Ephesians 2. There's no Ephesians 12. I don't think so. I added to the script. Well, no. That's not good. Not good. I think but, it's a plague. Yeah, it's not, not good. That's, if there are frogs all locusts, over your yeah, car, just call Scotty. He'll get them off. Yeah, that, there's the whole concept of the fact that, you know, if you really, I understand why the, the, the threat of being judged for your works can be intimidating because mm. we are depraved completely and totally. So depraved, we would never even choose God on our own if God did not intervene. Mm. And so in the end, it just makes sense that not only is our salvation not our doing, our works are not our doing either. And that's, what's, that's what gives our life purpose and meaning. Mm. Great. All right. I'm going to do sort of two together, back to back, because I think the answer is going to be one answer. Okay. Okay. So first question was, why has it been 2,000 years and we haven't heard anything? 2,000 years is a long time. How do we answer this question when we are leading non-believers to Christ? As a side note, my husband's answer was that Jesus was waiting for me. I wouldn't have been here if he had come earlier. <laughs> And that takes us, no, no, your turn. It's okay. not your turn yet. Okay. Uh, to the other question that was sort of asked, and it's a parallel response, I think. Last week, you said uh, the gospel, it reveals he is actively marking and drawing his chosen into his kingdom despite the chaos of the nations around us. So speaking of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heaven, heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So... If one scripture says we are chosen before the foundation of the world, how is Jesus, Jesus actively calling and marking us? And was she really waiting? Or I don't, it all you, goes you, together. You, you, you really know how to set me up good, don't you? That's a great question. I love answering that one, by the way. So let me just say that this, this is the reason that our life has purpose and meaning. 
First question, why is Jesus waiting? Well, to the sister who asked that question, he was waiting for you, and he's waiting for more. He's not done saving all of the Father that is given to him who will come to him. He's not saving those who no man can pluck out of his hand. He's waiting. He is patient. He is patient as he waits for the redeemed. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Remember the story? Let the wheat and the weeds grow up together, and in due time, the wheat will show fruit. We will gather the fruit. We'll bring it to the storehouse, and then we'll gather the weeds and burn them, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The reason that we're still here, the reason why Jesus has not come back right this moment is because there are people just like you that he is going to save. And he is waiting, because all that the Father has given to him will come to him, and no man can pluck them out of his hand. So that's the first thing. The reason why he's waiting is because he is still saving. The next, answer, the next uh, part of the question is, how is he saving? Well, this is just an amazing, this is an amazing thing because <clears throat> God doesn't need us. Yet for some reason, he gives us the privilege of being part of the process of him saving those whom he has called out of darkness into light. He says, how will they hear without a preacher. How will there be any preachers if none are sent to preach? Behold, it is said, how lovely are the feet of them who proclaim the gospel. So the process, the first part of the process is he's using those whom he has called and saved to proclaim the full gospel, judgment and grace, to those who have ears to hear. So that's the first part, right? That's our privilege. And this is why I think it's important, because for us, sometimes we wonder, why do we proclaim the gospel? Well, I've said this in the past, you know, when I share the gospel with somebody, my main goal is not to see them come to Christ. Now, I want them to trust Christ. I want them to join the family of God. I want them to come into the kingdom. But that is not my main motivation for proclaiming the gospel. You know what my main motivation is? God has given me the opportunity to talk about it. I'm bringing a smile to Heavenly Dad's face when I proclaim it. And the beauty of it is because I know that God is patiently waiting and calling those whom he has chosen for salvation because I know that. Here's what else I know. The word of God will never return void. It always accomplishes everything that it is supposed to accomplish. By the way, I didn't make that up. That's a quote from scripture. The gospel never fails to save those whom God is marking and calling and choosing for salvation. It, the enemy is never successful in stopping the gospel. That's why Jesus said, all that the Father has given me will come to me. No one can pluck them out of my hand. How comforting is that? And so God is waiting because he's calling and he's calling through his spirit and the spirit using those whom he has called is using us to proclaim the gospel. And we have this honor and this privilege to be able to be a part of his process in the story of redemption. And every time you preach the gospel, every time you proclaim it, whether you proclaim it in full mode, where you have an outline you memorize, or it's just something about, you know, Jesus loves you and died for you so that you might have, no matter how you share the gospel, every time it is one hundred percent effective sometimes it's effective for judgment sometimes it's effective for grace 
but it never returns empty. It always goes out and is proclaimed by his people and accomplishes everything that it is supposed to accomplish. And so how is God doing it during this time that we wait? Revelation says the Spirit of God is going about marking those for salvation that are part of those who will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And once he marks them, what happens? He sends those to preach the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. You see, I didn't make that up either. That's also a quote. Okay, just so you know. And that's the way the process works. And it's such a comfort. It's such a blessing. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says that we were chosen before the foundation of the world and he predestined us for adoption. I love adoption. I don't, I don't think that there's a greater expression of love than adoption. And that's what the Spirit of God is doing as he moves throughout this world, marking those whom he's going to redeem. He is adopting us, making us children of God into his family. You know, one of the great... Have you guys seen some of those commercials where they're advertising adopting a teenager have you seen some of those right and, and like look i look, who we, would adopt a teenager well, exactly. <laughs> like a puppy but here's the thing like of course we know that the commercial makes it look like it's a very glorious thing and it's great and everybody's getting along and there's no problems but even even if you don't want to even if you have your own teenager you know that's not true <laughs> but think about the, the the sacrifice and the love and the expression of love that you give when you adopt a child. That's what happens every time God gives. Okay, we will move on to our final question. Okay, oh wow. Yeah. yeah. If all of this is gonna happen, mm -hmm. and if time is circular, the way we sort of talked about, where it's already happened, but yet we're here, yet all of it, what is the point? of life. No. I asked this question and included an expletive that you left out in the notes. What's the <laughs> point? And I say that because if it's already settled, the battle is won. We're all already chosen. Why on earth does God put us through? Yes, there are good parts, but sometimes the bad feels like it really outweighs the good. So Count it all joy when you go through trials or tribulations. Oh, just stop it. And he says all those things, <laughs> right? Uh, the world will hate you just like it hates me, so we know that's true. What you're saying is true, that life is hard. So I, I got this question, and I, and I just wrote some things down because my mind just started being flooded with thoughts. The first one is, listen carefully, church. God's sovereignty doesn't cheapen the purpose of life. It enhances it and gives it purpose. Think about what, what would like, can you imagine how pathetic our life would be if there was no sovereign God? Life would just be, um, I wrote some words down, pathetic. Like there's no sovereign God, right? It's all up to us and there's no God in charge. Pathetic, hopeless, random, rudderless, pointless. That's pointless life. If there's no sovereign God or there's no sovereign plan, like everything is just random chance and you might make the right decision, you might not, and there's no guiding force, that life would suck. 
And you guys know this, right, that none of us, I just want to make it clear, just in case you were wondering, none of you would ever have chosen God if he did not choose you first. That's why he says, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. I think that this idea of the sovereignty of God, and I wrote this down, I want to make sure I got this. This story, this progress of redemption serves as an inspiration for the whole purpose of why God created us to begin with. The whole purpose of humanity is to glorify God. How? By enjoying his presence forever. That's the point and the purpose. And if there's no sovereign God, then that point or purpose is never going to happen. So remember all those lists of words I gave you that if there is no sovereign God, what, even, if you, even if you achieve everything this world has to offer, it ends poorly for you if there's no sovereign God, correct? You can be Jeff Bezos and your life is going to end terribly if you don't know Jesus. But think about a life where there is sovereignty. I just wrote some words. Gratitude. Expectation. Joy. And the most important one, confidence. It's the sovereignty of God that allows us in this tribulation that we're in. And John said we're all partners in that tribulation. We're in it right now. We will be until Jesus comes back. That's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. All that hard stuff, even with as hard as life can be. And some of us, some of you, all of you have been through horrible things in your life. When you think about it, we can still have confidence. Why? Because our Jesus and our God is sovereign, leaving nothing to chance when it comes to those whom he has loved before the foundation of the world. I am so thankful he did it that way because if there was no sovereignty and it was all up to us, we are all in a terrible boat. <laughs> yes. We would have no confidence for any future. The only confidence for any future that we could have is the grave. That's the only confidence you can have without the sovereignty of God. So what is the point? We learn how to love God by enjoying him forever through the lessons we learn in this tribulation, in this trial, and we know that life has hope. And it does have a rudder. It does have purpose. It does have meaning. And in the end, when we are with our Jesus, if he came today, <laughs> Keep it'll, be worth, it'll be worth Keep it. Trying. This has been a great year. We do moved to a new building. We're in the series on Revelation. You guys have been so wonderful and encouraging and, and being here week after week for that. And I hope that you've been blessed by it. And if you ever have questions like, what did you mean about this? Can you remind me? Email me, text me, and I'll answer it any time that I can. We, could, we should talk. Blessed are those who read this book. We should talk about it as much as you want. Hmm. But next week we'll start Joshua. You want to go to the, show that slide real quick? That's our series next week. Week one, Moses is dead. You excited? We're doing all the VBS, Joshua. Fit the battle of We're not Jerry. doing any. No, we are 100% doing all. Sherry Choate and I talked oh, about it. No. We're doing the VBS songs. <laughs> it's going to be great. But I've, I've enjoyed this. I love you, my church family. We've had a blast going mm. through this book. We feel like this is, the, this is the best way to cap it off, is have an opportunity to hear from you guys. And I hope you got some questions answered. If you have more that didn't get answered, email me at meganmooney at hotmail.com. No questions. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Dad, we're so thankful that you give us your word that is inexhaustive when it comes to its truth. 
and its intricacies and its beauty, its visions, its passion, its calling, its power. Lord, we're so thankful that you are, as we see through the book of Revelation, your sovereignty is dripping from every word. We're so thankful that you are a sovereign God who's in charge. And even though it doesn't feel like it, the forces of darkness can do nothing to derail what you're doing in our heart and our life through the power of your word and your truth and your son and your spirit. Lord, inspire us because of this sovereignty, because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to your purpose. Use that to inspire us to proclaim the gospel, knowing that it never fails. It always accomplishes everything it's supposed to. Even this morning, if the gospel has been proclaimed, it fulfilled its purpose. Lord, we find such comfort and rest in your promises in the book of Revelation of how it's going to end. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you next week.